Grace and mercy and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The email was snarky, combative, a little bitter. And the email ended <clears throat> with this question. If your God is so good, why does he allow so much pain and suffering in the world? Okay. And first, the, the person who received that email started out, spent a few paragraphs typing up the reality of sin in a fallen world, and along with sin comes pain and suffering, and, and that's, why, that's why Jesus came. But somehow he sensed that if he were to go into all this detail, it would just turn into a combative back and forth. And so he used a different tack. He, he responded to this question with a question of his own, a very caring question. And the question he sent back was, of, of all the big questions you could ask, why is it that you ask this one? The reply that came back <clears throat> was completely different in tone. Gone was the combativeness, gone was the snarkiness and the bile. Now he found out where this person was coming from. He was a little bit elderly, not old, but a little bit older gentleman who had had a, a, a great position teaching at a university. Good position. Everything was great. But then he ran into health problems. And the health problems became so severe that he could no longer teach. And then he ran into financial problems. <clears throat> so that now as he was writing this, he, he was just just living hand to mouth. Okay. And so what could have been just a combative back and forth, sending emails, send another email back. <clears throat> All of a sudden there's a conversation going on and a relationship that had started. This, this true story is in the foreword of a book entitled Questioning Evangelism. Questioning Evangelism. It's not a book that questions evangelism. It's a, quest, it's a book that talks about using questions for evangelism. Using questions to engage and to listen and then pray for an opportunity to the, for, for the focus to land on Christ and his gospel. This was written by a man by the name of Randy Newman, not the composer. This is a different Randy Newman. Uh, Randy Newman of Jewish background, but by God's grace came to faith in Jesus. Uh, he even lived to, to see his elderly Jewish parents come to faith in Jesus. But where did Randy Newman get this idea of just asking some questions once in a while to draw things out? Well, he got it from Jesus. 
As you read through the four gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, there are a fair number of times when Jesus chooses to answer a question with a question, to move the discussion along and then to get the focus to where it needs to be. And the word of God before us is Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable itself may be familiar to a, a, a number of us. What is easy to forget is, is that this parable is in the context of a lot of back and forth question and answer that's going on. And, and how Jesus concludes this whole episode gets you and me to do some real thinking too. So here's, a, here's the setting. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is teaching, and, and if he's in a teaching setting, we can probably presume that as was done in those days, he was seated and all of his listeners were, were seated while he was teaching. And, and then Luke records that a lawyer, a lawyer steeped in Old Testament law, stood up to ask a question. Now this was outwardly a sign of respect. But Luke also tells us that it's just an outward sign of respect because this lawyer's agenda was to put Jesus to the test and maybe trap him in some kind of line of questioning. And so the lawyer's question is this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you can see the, the lawyer's presumption here. He presumes that the way to receive eternal life with God is based upon things that I do for God. And if I find out what the right thing is, and if I do enough of it, then I'll be okay with God. Jesus, instead of answering the question, answers with a question. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And perhaps Jesus here sensed that this lawyer had a little bit of a not great intent behind his question. Well, the lawyer's reply is a superb summary of God's law. Superb. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies to this. And did Jesus have a little bit of a smile on his face when he replied? We don't know. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. But he replies, you've answered correctly. Do this. You will live. If you are convinced that you will receive eternal life by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and by loving your neighbor as yourself, if you're convinced that that's going to work for you, do it. You'll live. But then Luke records that the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asked another question of Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Again, you can see the, the, the lawyer's line of thinking here. His thinking is, well, first of all, I have to determine who my neighbor is. And by the way, in, in, in first century Jewish culture, that was kind of a narrow scope. For, for instance, for a, a Jewish religious leader, well, your neighbor was somebody who was pretty well behaved like you, you know, one of the good guys. 
If you really wanted to expand it, I suppose you could include anybody who could trace their lineage back to Abraham. Other than that, that's about as neighborly as they had to worry about. So you determine who your neighbor is, do some nice things for your neighbor, and then you can expect to receive eternal life. And here's where Jesus chooses to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. But please, please understand, he tells this story as a setup, as a setup to ask this lawyer another question. So here's the story. Man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, about a 17 mile walk. And it's all downhill from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And there's twists and turns, and there's a lot of rough places along this walk. And, and so there's a lot of spots for robbers to hide. And so what happens is that robbers attack this, this man. They strip him of his clothing. And, and they're not doing this just to be mean. Clothing in those days was valuable. You, they could take that, that, that clothing and they could sell it for real money. And so they strip him of his clothes. They beat him severely. So severely that Jesus says when they, when they leave him, the, the man is half dead. And so then along comes a priest coming from Jerusalem. Perhaps he's spent his couple of weeks of, of duties at the, at the temple and now he's ready to go home to his family. And the priest finds reasons not to get involved. We don't know the exact reasons. Perhaps his thinking was, well, if I stop to help this man, maybe the robbers will jump me and that would not be good. Or perhaps he was worried about defilement. Maybe he thought, well, this, if, if I touch this man and see if he's alive and it turns out he's a corpse, then I have ceremonially defied myself and instead of going home, I gotta turn right back, head up to Jerusalem and spend about a week going all through, through all kinds of, of ceremonial cleansing because I touched this corpse. For whatever reason, he decides Go to the other side, keep walking. And then Jesus says along comes a Levite, who, who, someone who worked on the temple grounds. He comes down, and maybe for the same reasons, maybe for other reasons, he decides, I'm going to go on the other side, keep walking. And then Jesus says, along comes a Samaritan. Now, brothers and sisters, we just have to stop there because for many of us, not all of us, but many of us, the, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan is so familiar, and we think, oh, what a nice story, the story of the Good Samaritan, that we lose the shock value, the real punch of disgust that would have been in the stomach of this lawyer the moment Jesus said, Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jewish people at this time held each other in contempt, disgust, wanted nothing to do with each other. A lot of reasons, a lot of ugly history. I'll just name one example. The, the, the first 
century historian Josephus recorded how uh, one time some Samaritans came up from the north in Samaria and they snuck down into Jerusalem and they got snuck into the, the temple grounds and they spread around human remains, human, human bones, just to defile the place, just to create havoc and chaos, just to be jerks. And then there was a response to that, and then there was a response to that, and on and on it had been kept going. And, and that's why there were a lot of people of Jewish descent who lived down in the south, and if they wanted to visit relatives up in the north, they didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria so that they would not have to deal with Samaritans. But here he shows up in Jesus' story. Samaritan comes along. He has compassion on this man. He binds up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, a, a standard medicinal practice at that time, put him on his own animal, took him to an inn. Think of the investment of time that this Samaritan is putting in. He took care of him there, and then as he was about to leave, he, he gave the innkeeper two denarii. A denarius was a, a full day's wage. He gave the innkeeper two of them to cover the cost of ongoing care. And then he told the innkeeper, when I come back, I'll come back, and if you have spent more than this, I'll repay it. And in this way, this Samaritan was also ensuring that this man not only did he save his life, but he also saw to it that he was not in danger of being sold into servitude because in those days, before the days of bankruptcy laws, if you had a bill that you could not pay, you were vulnerable for yourself or your family being served and sold into, into servitude. And so the Samaritan not only spared this man's life, but also saved him from possible enslavement. Jesus completes the story. And now he has a question for the lawyer. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Oh, that's a good question. See what Jesus did here? He shifted the question. The lawyer's question had been, who is my neighbor? Jesus shifted the question to to whom do I need to be a neighbor? The lawyer's reply, he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters, in, in each book of the Bible, <clears throat> just to think about the little bit of wider context, each book of the Bible has major themes, okay? And they all, there are also minor themes throughout books of the Bible. In the Gospel of Luke, there are major themes, but there's also a significant minor theme. One of those minor themes has to do with our human tendency for self-justification, our human tendency to think, well, if, if I do certain things, I'll, I can make myself okay with God. Later on in, in Luke, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gets after the Pharisees for having the spirit of 
self-justification. Later on in chapter 18 is, is when Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisee says, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week and I give so much, <clears throat> give away so much of my money. And, 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 and so he used that to illustrate the problem, the failing problem of self-justification. Well, likewise here, with this question, Jesus had just made this lawyer confront the reality of his failure. That the idea of, that he could love the Lord, his God, with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, and the idea that he was capable of loving his neighbor as himself and doing that so well that, boy, he could inherit eternal life, This lawyer had to confront his failure. And you and I have to do the same. Someone once said that <clears throat> very often what, what haunts us when we look back at our past are not the things that we do, but the things that we did not do. Others and sisters, think of those moments when there was someone in our life, maybe a stranger, maybe, maybe a member in our family, who needed a kindness. Maybe it was just a kind word, maybe it was just a little bit of time. But oh, we found reasons not to do it. There are other things that were more pressing in the moment, but in our heart of hearts, you and I look back and we let that person down and we let down our God. And that's what sin is. But the beauty is that God, Luke records this. Luke records this while Jesus is working his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Luke records this while Jesus is working his way to his appointment with the cross. Just as the Good Samaritan rescued the beaten man, so also Jesus has rescued us. We were broken and bleeding, not, not innocent victor, victims of robbers, but by our own sinfulness, by our own rebellion against God. But then Jesus came and picked us up and he cleansed our wounds not with oil and wine but he washed us clean in his blood and he paid for our healing not with a couple of denarii but with his suffering and death on Calvary's cross. And now because the price is paid and because he lives through faith in him, we are cleansed, and we stand forgiven, and we are his, and all is well. And the cross also empowers you and me to see others with fresh eyes, especially those with whom we may disagree over a lot of stuff. 
to see every soul as someone to whom I can be a neighbor, to see every soul as someone to whom I can be a neighbor. In this way, I can demonstrate what God's love for me in Jesus means to me. And that is one of the key reasons why you and I are here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rescuing me. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving opportunities to be a neighbor to those who need one. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.